This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Growing up in a culturally Catholic country, Joy Katikbak knows very well what it means to serve. As the Lord called her to work in ministry, she was invited to be more docile and open to Him. This openness made her instrumental in bringing theology of the body to her home country of the Philippines. And now she shares this important message as a TOB speaker, both locally and abroad. In this episode, Joy shares how ministry is deeply woven into her marriage and family life, how she first came to learn about theology of the body, and the importance of making a gift of ourselves to others. Good morning, Joy. Hi, good evening, Rachel. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. You almost got me there. I was just like, wait, good morning, good evening. That's right. So I think we'll have to fill listeners in about our little time gap. But it is such a joy to be with you today. Same <laughs> Pardon here. the pun. Yeah, same Yeah. Here. A great start for my day. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, and it's a wonderful way for me to cap off mine. Uh, so maybe we'll fill in listeners. But for those who may not be uh, familiar with you or who may be meeting you for the first time through this episode, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are. Yeah, good. Um, my name is Joy Katigbak. I'm from the Philippines. I live close to Manila, the southern part of Metro Manila. And I'm a mom of four beautiful children. One of them is married. Okay, I've been married myself for about 29 years. My husband and I are members of Couples for Christ. And our children are also members of the family ministries, Singles for Christ and Youth for Christ. Um, so this is really a family involvement in evangelization that we're doing. And it's been a very meaningful experience for us for the past, um, for my husband and I, oh wow, about 25 years, we started early in our marriage. So I am also a theology of the body speaker. I talk about the theology of the body and try my best to spread it all over, you know, wherever God calls me mostly to parents and teachers, sometimes to young people. And I've always considered it a blessing and an immense gift to be able to bring this beautiful teaching to different kinds of people, wherever God may invite me to bring it. So basically, that's who I am. We had the opportunity to meet not too long ago and just to to chat and get to know each other. And I remember that one of the things that really drew me to you when I first met you, I guess that I use that in air quotes uh, on Instagram, was just your involvement. And like you mentioned, how you speak about theology of the body and you call yourself a theology of the body speaker. And it's something that I feel is very intimately linked to the feminine genius. And of course, both authored by the great John Paul II. So I really look forward to talking to you about that. And of course, the incredible work that you do and the ministries that you serve. But maybe to start off, I would love to hear a little bit about your personal faith journey. So growing up and how it is that you've arrived to be the woman of God that you are today. Sure. So 
I was born Catholic to a very Catholic family. My parents mm-hmm. are both very strongly Catholic. My mom is a very strong devotee to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart mm-hmm. of Mary. We grew up praying the rosary every day. We went to Catholic school. We were really raised in an environment where, you know, being Catholic was just the most natural thing. Plus, Mm -hmm. all our friends were Catholic. You know, the Philippines is a very Catholic country. Even if, you know, Mm -hmm. you go to the simplest home of the simplest family, even in a poor area, you will always Mm -hmm. find an image of the Blessed Virgin or Jesus or one of their patron saints in their home. So religion is really a big part of our lives here. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in that kind of environment where I never thought there were even other religions that existed because everybody I interacted with were Catholic. Mm -hmm. So um, after college, I went on to be a teacher. And I taught back in in my high school Okay, so uh-huh. I, was a, I was an English teacher. And again, I was surrounded by this kind of environment where as a teacher and as a class advisor, you, you have rosaries in class, you know, you bring your students to mass. So I consider myself very blessed to have this kind of environment. It was in college where I became exposed to the Catholic Charismatic Renewal Movement. I attended a Life in the Spirit seminar, and that was my first real encounter with uh, Jesus as someone I could, you know, be personally intimate with. Being raised Catholic, you know, it was just like a given that, yeah, you have to believe in God. Um, It wasn't like we were forced to, but it was just so natural and so almost automatic for us that, you know, you grow up and you pray and you pray the rosary, you believe in Mama Mary. Mm -hmm. But it was in, in that seminar where I realized, you know, Jesus wants something more from me. He wants to be really intimately close with me. And I realized Mm -hmm. that that required something from me. It required some kind of transformation and conversion. I mean, I wasn't doing any really bad things, but then, you know, I realized there were some things I was doing that wasn't really pleasing to God. And I wanted to be the kind of person that he would be pleased with. Later on, of course, I realized that we don't really have to do anything to be uh, lovable in God's eyes. But at that time, I just felt that, you know, if I want to really love Jesus, I need to make some changes in my life. Okay, so, Mm -hmm. and I did, you know, Mm -hmm. I got rid of some bad habits. And then later on, I was invited to speak in some Life in the Spirit seminars to give one of the talks. Mm-hmm. And that became something very regular for me. You know, every time there would be a Life in the Spirit seminar, I would often be invited to share or, you know, yeah. to give one of the talks. And I realized, hey, I kind of have this gift of, you know, speaking before people mm-hmm. to share the faith. And eventually in our parish, we formed a youth community. So remember, I was just about in my early 20s about at this time. And mm-hmm. We formed a youth community. I became one of the youth leaders. Okay, I became mm-hmm. involved in the teaching ministry. And I think it was there that it was really affirmed to me that I had something to share. Okay, When mm-hmm. I encounter something that I feel needs to be shared with the young people in my community, I seem to be able to communicate it well in a way that they could understand and embrace. And I really treasured that gift. Because you know, ever mm-hmm. since I was young, 
I really wanted to be a teacher. Okay, that was the mm-hmm. very first thing that I told myself. When I grow up, I want to be a teacher. And I did become a teacher after college. I did become a teacher, but I realized that even outside the classroom, I was mm-hmm. being called to teach. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the affirmations that I received being in that youth community. And so when I got married years later, it became so natural for uh, my husband and I to join a Catholic community. I had been inviting my husband to join our youth community when we were single. But, you know, he was <laughs> kind of hesitant because I was so immersed in the community already. He didn't really know anyone. But when right. the opportunity came when we were married, he was just very open to it. And so we joined Couples for Christ. Nobody invited us. It was just announced after Mass. And then we said, why don't we attend this? And we both said yes. And it's been a wonderful journey ever since. That was about 25 years ago. We were a starting family. Our eldest son was just about maybe just three years old at that time. So our children really grew up in this kind of environment where they were surrounded by couples and young people who loved the Lord, who worshipped Him. And so they also grew up thinking, hey, this is the way to live life. You know, you worship God. You try to follow His commands because they're good for you. Okay, You enjoy the company of family, friends, and you know children, and other young people who also love the Lord and who encourage you in that journey. So it also became very natural for them to join Kids for Christ, one of the family ministries of Couples for Christ. And then, you know, when they reach their teen years, they join sing, um, Youth for Christ, and then later on Singles for Christ. So this has really been a family journey, if you could call it that. Our children have also embraced community life. Of course, there are ups and downs here and there, challenges where you're also tested and your commitment to the community is tested. But always the Lord draws us back and he has always Mm -hmm. strengthened our commitment to serve him in this way. And this has been one of the biggest blessings in our family life. It has really helped us to raise our children to love the Lord and to want to serve him, to see him and other people. And so, you know, it becomes natural for them to want to serve other people because they know Jesus is in other people too. Mm -hmm. So this has really been an immense blessing in our life for which my husband and I, and I'm sure all our children are also very grateful for. Yeah, and I have to give a quick plug for Life in the Spirit because I did that Oh my goodness, maybe like six or seven years ago now at the time of recording this. And I remember, as I'm sure you probably remember when you first took it, just how intense the content, but also like recognizing the faith and the invitation that God has for us. And then of course, like to really live our lives like fully alive. I'm just thinking just as you're talking about, you know, how you entered in and then you invite your husband and then, of course, you as a family. So you, your husband and your four children going through and and really becoming alive in the spirit and in the faith, how that only could have happened if you had said yes to going into Life in the Spirit seminar and just how that motherly leadership, even though at the time, you know, you weren't married yet, you didn't have your family yet, but that real leadership 
And of course, the docility in saying yes, to be activated in the spirit and to recognize that gift of teaching. And you speak so clearly and you exhort so well. So it's so clear that it is a gift from the spirit. So anyway, that's just something that stands out to me. But of course, the real gift and blessing that came from your first yes. That's true, Rachel. You know, here in the Philippines, we have, I don't know if you've encountered the word ate, which means old oh, yes. sister, right? We call people who are older than us, even if we're not really related to them, we call them ate, older sister. And that was what I became in this youth community. People began to be drawn to me, to listen to my counsel. I mean, I had li- very limited experience at that time, but I felt called to share something, to make a gift of myself to these people. And it was beautiful because I was very much received and accepted by you know these young men and women who I was in community with. And I have the same experience today, here, even here in Couples for Christ. We've had the opportunity to minister to a lot of young people when we were assigned to Singles for Christ some years back. We were serving in Singles for Christ for about 14 or 15 years. And during those years, we encountered a lot of single men and women who you know, needed advice, who just needed a motherly figure, who needed someone to be a model of what does it mean to be a wife, Okay, this is the future that I'm looking forward to. And what, is, what could that look like? And that was a very high calling on my part. But, and I can't ever claim to have been the perfect model or the perfect example. But I think mm-hmm. that really challenged me to be a good example to these young women whom we were ministering to. I really felt that gift of being received by others, young men and young women, other couples that we were serving with, whom we were able to forge really strong friendships with. That became an opportunity for me to really be connected intimately with other families who became a gift to us and whom we could be a gift to in return. So we were able to forge these really strong bonds. And it's it's strange because some of these couple friends of ours were people we met, you know, because we went on mission trips, for example, to another country, and they just happened to be our host during our stay in that place. So we would have been with them very briefly, but the Mm. friendships forged were just so strong that after Mm. our mission trip and many years later, we would still be in touch. And because we had this common mission and this common love for the Lord and the desire to bring His message to families all over the world, that became a really strong bond for us. And so Mm -hmm. we've had these opportunities for not just making a gift of self to other families, but also being received by them so generously. That has also been a very big blessing in our life here in community. And I love some of the language that you're using too around the gift of self, because we know that that's, you know, language that really came out of Vatican II and the whole universal call to holiness and mission and really extending ourselves and and being out there in the world and recognizing that it's not just clergy and people who are high up in, in the church who, of course, like we still respect and we follow their teaching, but the fact that we too... Um, are called and we have that mission to to serve and go out 
And also, just as a really lovely segue, I love how you tied that all together, but just how gift of self is so integral to the whole understanding of theology of the body, as I know that you're so intimately aware. So perhaps, like, if we could go there, and I remember when we had a conversation earlier, you were mentioning about how you came to learn about theology of the body and how it's something that in the Philippines where you are, it's not at the time, at least, it wasn't so widely known. So I was wondering if you could share that story of how you first came to learn about theology of the body. And maybe from there, we'll jump into how it is that you now speak about it all over the place. Right. So we encountered the theology of the body in around 2009. My husband and I were serving in Singles for Christ at that time, and they had a national conference in the U.S. And we went there to attend the conference and also be a speaker in the conference. Mm. They happened to have a session with Christopher West. And this was our very first time to listen to him. And before we went there, the leader of Singles for Christ there in America had given us some audio CDs of Christopher's Naked Without Shame series. You remember this is in 2009 and you know we were on the plane we had loaded the contents of the cds into our ipods and we were listening to it on the plane and wow i think if people were watching our faces as we were listening to them they would have seen our eyes really wide open and Mm. we were really being captivated by this teaching just by listening to the cds so you can just imagine how we felt when we were actually listening to Christopher do his presentation on the theology of the body. This was something we had never heard of. And yet, strangely, it was something quite familiar. It was as if something was being struck deep into our hearts that had always been there, but we had never known it was there before. So it was strangely familiar. And after listening to him, really, my first instinct was, where did this come from? How come I never knew about this? I've grown up in a Catholic school all my life. I've been surrounded by, you know, Catholic teachings, but no one has ever brought this to my attention before. Mm -hmm. And my second instinct was, how can I bring this to the Philippines? How can I Mm -hmm. let other people know about this beautiful teaching? It's, It's like finding a treasure and then realizing that you can't keep it to yourself. You've got to share it with others because it's really mm-hmm. meant to be shared. And so we had that opportunity to you know, talk to his um, executive assistant at that time. And just to make the long story short, after about one and a half years, almost two years, we finally were able to sit down with Christopher and his team to plan how to bring him to the Philippines. And in 2011, he was able to have a very big conference here in the Philippines, organized Mm -hmm. by Couples for Christ on our 30th anniversary at that time. And he gave his Freedom to Love conference. This was attended by about 7,000 people. So Mm -hmm. you can just imagine, Rachel, my joy and my excitement being there, you know, being part of the team that brought him to the Philippines and organized this big conference having all of these fears like you know are people even going to attend nobody Mm -hmm. knew christopher west here in the philippines at that time very very few Mm -hmm. people what is theology of the body and people were just really going to go there because they were couples for christ and this is one of our activities and we were asked Mm -hmm. to invite other parish groups and other communities Mm -hmm. and you know we did and some of many of them came 
I really had this fear. Are people going to come? And to top mm. it off, in the morning of that conference, I remember so clearly it was raining so hard. Streets <laughs> were getting flooded going to the venue. And I was telling myself, Lord, how are the people going to make it here? In fact, people were even asking us, is the conference pushing through? You know, they were asking oh us in gosh. the morning of the conference. And he said, of course, it's pushing through. Yes, it is. Please come. And we started with the mass. Mm. And in the middle of the mass, I was in, we were in the front row. And we looked behind us. And mm. the Colosseum was full. There were so wow. many people. And, you know, I was in tears realizing just how faithful God is. And I told myself, you know, this is just the beginning. Not everybody who attended that conference would readily embrace the theology of the body. Many of them, you know, it would have been so up in the air and too high above their heads for them to grasp. But I said, no, it can't end here. We've got to do something in Couples for Christ to make more people go deeper and appreciate it more. And so we organized some other courses. We invited Father Joel Hasson, who's one of the best Theology of the Body speakers here among our priests. Okay, he was the dean of one of the seminaries at that time. So he gave us a course on the Theology of the Body. That went very well. And from there, he started giving us Theology of the Body weekends every so often, about three times a year. So our journey continued. And in fact, mm -hmm. later on, because everybody in CFC was associating my husband and myself with the theology of the body because we were organizing all of these things, then we started to get invited to give talks. When that happened, we panicked and we said, oh no, how do we even do this? Where do we even start to give right. a talk on the theology of the body? There's just so many things to share. And you don't even know which of these things you'd like to share or which will be very relevant for your audience at that time. Mm. But, you know, the Lord was very patient in teaching us. And I'm sure we made mm. many mistakes along the way. But we just kept saying yes, giving our little humble offering to the Lord, saying, Lord, this is what we've come up with for this invitation. Just bless mm -hmm. it and allow it to bear fruit and to grow. Mm -hmm. okay? And we just yeah. kept on doing that. And eventually, I really felt the call to you know, bring it to more people, even outside of Couples for Christ. Mm -hmm. And there opened several opportunities for me to do this, to bring it to a school, I decided to bring it to my daughter's school, which is a Catholic girls' school. They readily welcomed it. Okay, and they said, you know, this is a beautiful program and we'll run it for as long as you teach it. And I said to myself, <laughs> okay, you know, I've not been in the classroom for many, many years, but if this is what God wants me to do at this time, then so be yeah. it. Okay, so I gave my yes. I ran the Theology of the Body for Teens Middle School program for their high school students. I just ran the program for about three or four months. After that, the school years that followed, the school had already assigned a full-time teacher to run the program. So it's been running in that school for many years now, for I would say more than eight years already. Mm -hmm. And it's been a beautiful experience for me because since then, I started to gain a little bit more confidence to speak. I started to learn how to formulate talks. One of the 
biggest milestones was probably when Katrina Zeno was able to come here to the Philippines again through Couples for Christ. You know, we had been connected with her by CFC Canada because she had given several conferences for a CFC in Canada. So we had invited her here and she gave us an immersion course. And it was just so beautiful and so amazing and really so enriching. And that really kind of solidified my call and my yes to God's invitation for me to bring it to more people. Katrina has become a very good friend of mine since then. And she has so generously guided me along the way. Uh, mentoring me and, you know, helping me out with different situations, different problems I might encounter along the way and really teaching me. And since then, I've had more courage to offer the theology of the body to schools, to teachers. How can this help enrich, you know, their curriculum? How can this help them guide their students to face the different issues of the day? And many teachers and parents are at a loss here how to handle these things because theology of the body is really something quite new even today. I would say not a lot of people know about the theology of the body. Maybe those who are involved in you know, Catholic formation may be a little mm-hmm. bit familiar with it. But there are very few people who really have the confidence to you know, take a program and decide to run it in their school or who might want to uh, bring the teaching to a group of parents or a group of students. So that has been my call now, I think, from the Lord, that he wants me to help bring the theology of the body to those who will really be dealing and interacting with young people on a regular basis. These are the parents and the teachers. If I want to make an impact on the lives of young people, Mm -hmm. I think the best way for me to be able to do that is through these people who are regularly in touch with them, who are their mentors and their guides. So Mm -hmm. who would be in the better position than their parents and their teachers? So that's where I think the Lord is leading me right now. It's all started in that 2009 trip. It's been a very long and bumpy ride getting to where I am now. I am still discovering a lot of things. I don't consider myself an expert. I'm still learning many things along the way, you know, trying to study as much as I can. And I'm just blessed to have people mentoring me, people guiding me, people willing to gamble and allow me to speak in their schools to their teachers or to their students. And that's also been a very big blessing for me from the Lord. Yeah, you speak with so much humility, but also I wish that I was talented enough to have video go along with a podcast because to see the zeal and the joy in your eyes, the excitement that comes through just as you're recounting how it is that you first encountered theology of the body and then all of the hard work 10 years ago now, here we are in 2021, but 10 years ago, bringing Christopher West to the Philippines and just how that's really catapulted you to where you are. The one thing that I want to hone in on that you said that I find very interesting is how you said that theology of the body is is still something that is relatively new. And for those who are very, very in the thick of, you know, adult faith formation or young adult faith formation, it's something that gets thrown around a lot. And it's interesting. And I remember we chatted about this, about how John Paul II, he gave and delivered these 
Theology of the Body talks over several years worth of audiences and how that was, you know, thinking about the history of our church not that long ago. And yet it's something that is, it's so big, but also it seems to be like the best kept secret because we hear about this and we think about this in relation to the culture that we find ourselves in, where it seems like theology of the body is very counterintuitive or countercultural. But I would love to hear your thoughts on why it is that it's so important to talk about theology of the body, especially now in the 21st century, like why it's so integral for young people to know this. You know, Rachel, a lot of people seem to think that theology of the body is simply Catholic sex education. And that's been my experience when teachers, for example, or parents have questions about how do we guide our daughters to be in the right relationship? How do we help our children avoid being in premarital sexual relationships? Then theology of the body becomes the answer. Okay, but I think one thing we fail to realize is before we even talk about sex and what's wrong with certain acts that are sexual, we need to start first with what our identity is. Who are we? And that's exactly what John Paul II does. He doesn't speak about sexual morality until audience 100-something. He begins (laughs) first with who is the human person? What does it mean that you're made in the image and likeness of God? And I think that's one thing that many young people have lost sight of. Who Mm -hmm. am I? What does it mean that I'm a woman or a man? What does it even mean that I'm a daughter of God if I'm Catholic and I've been taught that I'm a daughter or a son of God? What does it mean? If we don't know who we are, we cannot help but search for that identity. That's one of our deepest needs. We need to know who we are. And so we're going to search it. And if we don't know what the root of our identity is, that we are beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to search for our identity in many different places. And what do people say about me? How do other people see me? How do I measure up to all of these images and standards set before me by the world? How many comments and likes am I getting? And what are they saying in those comments? Mm -hmm. We're going to pin our identity on these things. How does this person that I value treat me? If he or she treats me like I'm not worthy of respect, then maybe that's who I am. Maybe I am Mm -hmm. not worthy. Okay, so if our identity is not solidified and it's not clear, we will look for our identity in many different places and many wrong places, sadly. So I think that's one of the things that the theology of the body helps us to understand. What does it mean that I am made in God's image and likeness? And then we realize, hey, my being made male or female has something to do with that identity. It actually allows me to be able to image God in a certain way. I mean, God made us male and female, different but complementary, able to make a total gift of self to each other that can become fruitful and life-giving. Because in that way, we are able to image God who is a trinity, a God who is love, right? What kind of love? fruitful, total self-giving love. That's who God is, right? The father making a total gift of himself to the son, the son making a total gift of himself to the father, and that self-giving between them being so powerful that it overflows and bursts forth in the Holy Spirit. That is the image that 
a man and a woman in total self-giving love in marriage, bearing fruit in children, that's what their marriage is imaging. That's what their marriage is pointing to. That's how we, we show that we are made in the image and likeness of God. So in a culture where we seem to want to get rid of male and female and put it alongside you know, many different kinds of other identities, then we are actually obscuring that image of the Trinity that we are meant to mirror in this world. I imagine it to be God leaving a picture of himself here on earth so that we would never forget him and so that we would constantly be reminded of who we are and what we are meant for, that we are called to an eternal divinizing union with him, right? Mm -hmm. And so he created the family. He made us male and female so we could have a family, right? Yeah. And so if we erase male and female, it's like we're tearing that picture apart and saying, you know, this doesn't exist. There's no such mm -hmm. thing as Trinitarian life and love because man and woman making a gift of themselves to each other, that doesn't make sense anymore. And I think that's the call of the day. We need to be able to preserve that call for the family to be a mirror of Trinitarian life and love, that call for the family to be able to mirror Christ's love for the church, that husbands and wives will always be reminded that Christ's laying down his life for all of us on the cross, that is meant to be an image of the love of husband and wife where we're able to say to each other, this is my body given up for you, right? I am ready mm -hmm. to lay down my life for you out of love. And I make a total gift of myself to you in this way, in many different acts in our married life, but you know, even more in that marital embrace, when I mm -hmm. really make a complete gift of myself to you and I am received completely by you, and, you know, by God's grace, that union can become fruitful and life-giving and bear us mm -hmm. a child. That's meant to remind us of Christ's love for the church. But again, to get rid of male and female and to make sex into, you know, something that is just for recreation, something so casual mm -hmm. and so meaningless is really to obscure and probably even bastardize that image of Christ's total self-giving for us on the cross. I find that when people become aware of this, when they see mm -hmm. that, hey, things have a meaning, these things that we see, especially our bodies, actual relationships that we witness, the way that we make a gift of ourselves through our bodies, these things have a meaning. And when we see that they have a meaning, they become more important for us. And when they become more important for us, then we want to preserve that meaning. We want to safeguard it because that meaning isn't just, you know, some small time shallow meaning. It's grand and it's magnificent. It's awesome. It's a very high calling. And I think the theology of the body gives us the language by which we are able to express what those meanings are. And that's why... I just really feel this very strong pull from my heart to bring it to other people. You know, Rachel, being a speaker is not something common here in the Philippines. I know there are many Catholic speakers in the United States and in Canada and maybe some other mm -hmm. countries. But here in the Philippines, 
That's mm. not something common. So for me to say I'm a theology of the body speaker, some people are bound to say, you're what? What are you? <laughs> they just say speaker, speaker, boy. what does that mean? Right? So I really had to grapple myself with really finding that label by which I could identify myself when I introduced myself and my ministry. But seeing that this is something, however rare it may be, this is something that can impact the lives of others, then I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to immerse myself where God calls me. It will require a lot of faith and courage on my part. So I just hold on to the Holy Spirit and wherever the Holy Spirit may lead me. And I ask for really a generous outpouring of His gifts so that I can do what God wills. It's not easy. I'm not a theologian. I'm not an apologist. There are many questions I won't be able to answer for sure. But even for just a little moment, when I'm able to say to an audience, this is who you are. This is what you're created for. This is what your marriage means. When you come together in the marital embrace, this is what you're saying to each other. Just for those moments, I'm willing to face an audience, no matter the fear in my heart, no matter the anxiety, if only to be able to bring that beautiful message to other people. Mm -hmm. And what a powerful truth, because like you said, we're in a culture right now that wants to strip that away. And maybe if I could ask too, because you talk about like theology of the body and how it images the Trinitarian love, right, through the marital embrace. But maybe like for those like myself who are single, when we think about theology of the body as a single person, because I remember having conversations with other people, um, other friends who are single. One of my friends maybe was half joking, but perhaps also half serious where it's like, oh, well, theology of the body is just something that married people need to think about, which I don't think is is true. And of course, like I'm not out here trying to be like, oh, my friend is wrong. But I think that there's something to be said when it comes to understanding, like you were saying, and, and you said with such passion, like who we are. We don't just find ourselves like when we get married. Like, of course, like we come to know more about ourselves when we are able to give ourselves totally and faithfully and fruitfully like to that other person. But as a single person, like what do you have to say to those people who are single, who maybe are still discovering their vocation or the call that God has for their lives and what it means to live theology of the body in that state of singlehood? Well, as a human person made male or female, your body tells you something. Your body tells you that you're created to be a gift. You are made for relationship. As Christopher West would always put it, a man's body doesn't make sense by itself. A woman's mm -hmm. body doesn't make sense by itself. But seen in light of each other, then they reveal the call to union. They reveal the call to be a gift. And we realize that there are many ways of being a gift. We make a gift of ourselves not only in marriage, okay, when we come together in the marital embrace, but in our day-to-day -day lives. So being aware of what are your gifts, what are the things that God has given you that will allow you to, you know, really make a difference in someone's life, that will allow you to be a gift to another. And that can be as simple as being a listening ear to someone. Oh, during this pandemic, I know there are many people who have felt isolated. You know, mm -hmm. being someone who will reach out to that person and really listen that is being an immense gift to that person. How can I be a gift to my parents or my siblings 
these are the people that we most often take for granted because they're just always there and we know they're going to love us no matter what. But this is our first environment where we can be a gift. How do I show my parents, a single person, how can I show my parents my love and appreciation? You know, being single gives us a lot of freedom, right? We're free to use our money. We're free to spend our time the way we wish. We're free to make our own decisions. And sometimes, you know, because we've become independent, we can fall into the trap of isolating ourselves from the rest of our family, especially here in the Philippines where, you know, we have a very tight family bond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you become single and independent, it's so easy to say, okay, now, you know, I've spent most of my life with my parents serving them. Now I can do whatever I want. Realizing that my call to be a gift doesn't end. And how am I called to appreciate my parents? What do they need at this time? As they reach their, you know, maybe middle age and their advanced years, how can I make a gift of myself to them? What do they need from me? What about my siblings? You know, they all live their own lives, but how can I still be that older sister, older brother, or younger sister, younger brother to them? Our bodies are made in such a way that they are able to express love, right? John Paul II calls it the spousal meaning of the body, that power to express that kind of love where we can make a gift of self to another. Just because it says spousal meaning doesn't mean it's meant only for your spouse, right? We make a gift of self to anybody. And just being aware in all our day-to-day encounters with different people, virtually or physically, how we can make that gift of self We might think it's so small and so insignificant, but it isn't, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with Gaudium et Spes 24, right? Man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't just entail one grandiose giving of self. That means small gifts of self every single day, every single moment of your life. That's Mm -hmm. what's going to allow you to fully find yourself and to fully find What's truly going to make you happy? Hmm. And certainly that's what a lot of us are seeking. And I think you spoke about this so eloquently earlier about, you know, man's search for identity or woman's search for identity and how we find that in God. He's given that to us as a gift from the moment of our conception, the moment that we were created. He knew exactly who we were going to be and he's given us through his love, everything that we needed to really discover that. And yet, I think about my own life. And just as you're speaking, I I suddenly saw the the real go through my head of just like all of the times where I was seeking identity somewhere else or in someone else, uh, when really, it's like I was kind of mentioning earlier, it's the best kept secret. And it's been in front of me this whole time and many times we just have to look and look in a mirror and just be like oh like this is who I am and God has through his love he's loved me so deeply and intimately and that is who I am I think it's something that we hear a lot but we don't let it sink in because it isn't easy right coming to that realization isn't going to be easy we're really Mm -hmm. going to encounter a lot of moments where we're not going to like what we see in the mirror Or we're not going to uh, like what we discover about ourselves. Or being a beloved daughter of God isn't going to make sense for us in some moments of our lives when 
we're feeling really down or unappreciated or unloved. And all of us come to those moments. And I think the Lord understands. And He's right there when we're in that moment where we hate what we're seeing and we're telling ourselves, I don't like who I am. Or I don't like who I've become because of the decisions that I've made. And we might feel that this is just it. There's no other way out. But the Lord is there and he's telling us, no matter how broken you might feel, how dissatisfied you might be with yourself, and no matter how many really bad decisions you've made in your life, I came to redeem you. right? And I didn't choose the people I was going to redeem. I didn't redeem just those good ones or those who just have those tiny faults that are forgivable and, you know, some aren't forgivable. And so I didn't come to save them. No, Jesus came to redeem even the worst of us. It just requires for us to really open ourselves and accept. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me too. Even if I feel so unworthy and so unlovable, I know you died for me too. But help me, help me to recognize that and to accept that redemption that you're giving me. Because that might be a difficult thing to do for some people to accept redemption because accepting redemption means putting your faith in someone, putting your faith in in Jesus. And it means because you have faith, then you're going to trust him enough to make certain decisions in your life that will require some changes. Mm -hmm. And that might be difficult. But to realize that you are not alone in that journey, Christ is always with you. And if that isn't enough for you, he has surrounded you with brothers and sisters who can journey with you along the way. I pray that each one of us finds that person or that group of persons who will be willing to journey with us through all our difficulties. Because these people are with us, then that journey becomes a little bit more bearable. And slowly, hopefully, then we will begin to see, hey, I'm not so bad. Who I thought I was isn't really who I am. Right? I might have been seeing you know, just one side of me, maybe just a superficial side. I failed to see that there's something more. Because the fact that Christ himself became a human person like me means there must be something really awesome about being a human person for God himself to take it upon himself. And when we recognize that, then we really elevate what it means to be a human person because God himself became human like us. So much truth there. And it just reminds me of when you you were sharing your faith journey earlier, how you you mentioned that you realized like some of the changes that you wanted to make in your own life. And, you know, like you're saying, like it takes humility, incredible trust, and ultimately that deep faith to really put our lives in God's hands. And I just think like, wow, Jory, like look at where it's brought you. And, you know, I myself have just like learned so much in our short conversation today. And I'm sure so many who will listen to this, uh, who are listening to this, will feel the same because like I mentioned it's such a a simple truth and many times the simple things are maybe complex but the reverse is true God simply came he became man and he came to save all of us and that really is the the greatest gift of all so I'm so appreciative of how powerfully you spoke that truth today 
in kind of like reflecting on that, and you spoke so beautifully also about, you know, motherhood and what it means to be a daughter of God. We know that those are like hallmarks of the feminine genius. And again, John Paul II being a, such a, a brilliant speaker and author on Theology of the Body, a Letter to Women, and all of those related topics. But I'd love to hear your reflection on how you've seen your personal feminine genius develop and flourish through the work that you do as a Theology of the Body speaker, but of course, like through your vocation and marriage and as a mother. Well, I think one of the things that the theology of the body and John Paul's writings on the feminine genius has really enriched is, first of all, our marriage. It has taught me to be better spouse, a better wife, a more loving one. I think this concept of active receptivity that John Paul mm-hmm. II talks about, where when we receive someone, we're not just receiving passively, but we're receiving actively. So I would say the concept of a generous receiving, I've been able to experience that in my marriage where I am able to receive my spouse in many different ways. And because of that reciprocal giving and receiving that we have in our marriage, we can become really a very powerful and potent missionary team. Right? First of all, to our children in the way that we raise them, but also you know, in the bigger community, in the bigger world, where we are able to allow our marriage maybe to affect the marriages of other people that we know, or when we allow ourselves to be used by the Lord as a couple in Couples for Christ, when we are sent out on mission, and not just because we give talks, but also because we are encountering people as we go mm-hmm. on mission that we are building relationships and they're having a glimpse of our marriage and they're having a glimpse into our family life. And they're seeing, you know, there are some good things that are going on in this family that Mm -hmm. might be worth emulating. And the same is true. We find a lot of good things in the families we encounter that we also Mm -hmm. try to emulate in our own families. So that gift of being so open to receiving others, Mm -hmm. first of all, my spouse, and then other families that my spouse and I encounter. And then, of course, to my children, receptivity is something so natural and so important in motherhood. Mm-hmm. Our children are all grown up now. Our youngest is 17, and our eldest is 28. He's already married. But you know, I find myself always in a position of receptivity a generous receptivity when I'm faced with my children. Simple things like one of them will come and say, mom, you have to stop whatever you're doing because I need to tell you something. (laughs) Something (laughs) happened in class today. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or mom, look at this project that I made. Okay. Or guess what happened in my class today? One of my daughters is a teacher. So she has all of these stories to share about, you know, milestones (laughs) in her preschool class that have happened Mm -hmm. that she wants to share with me. So there I am called to receive all of these gifts. Can you imagine what a blessing that is for a mother that you're Mm -hmm. being showered with all of these gifts by your children? And some of these gifts might be, you know, imperfect Mm -hmm. or broken or wounded, right? One of my children can come to me and say, you know, I feel really terrible today. Mm. And being able to receive that 
wounded gift and being able to nourish it and comfort it and you know help nourish it back to life just mm-hmm. being there to receive it sometimes and you know not having to say much i think that is a gift that we women are given it is so easy for us to receive others into our lives right i mean rachel we've just spoken for two times but already i feel received by you and already mm-hmm. it's so easy for me to give of myself to you i think as women we have that incredible gift of being very generous and at the same time being so receptive of the generosity of other people hmm. and i think that's one of the ways i've experienced that in motherhood but then of course also in the bigger cfc community we are blessed with many opportunities to minister to other families because we were serving for many years in the singles ministry many of these mm-hmm. single men and women have already gotten married and now have their own young families and you know when they got married it was so natural for them to invite us to be one of their principal sponsors in their wedding mm-hmm. so we've had that opportunity also to be able to guide them through their marriage you know they come to us sometimes mm-hmm. in the early years of their married life and they say you know we're facing all of these problems what do we do Can you help us? What did you do when you were, you know, in this stage of your marriage? And I think mm-hmm. that's another incredible gift to be able to even make those little dents in the marriages of other people. Not everyone yeah. is blessed with the chance to be able to guide young couples and really I consider that an amazing gift that God allows us to experience in our own marriage where we really see that our marriage can be a gift. to another couple's marriage to another couple's family because we went through whatever we went through in our marriage not just for our sake not just for the sake of our family and our children but also to be able to guide other families in their own journey well joy you said it best i mean i am grateful to hear that you've been able to feel received by me after like you said two times of meeting because i certainly feel the same way and you are a gift to me today and i know when i listen back on this it will the gift will continue to give so joy thank you so much for being so generous with me for receiving me here in this time in this place and of course like for sharing so wonderfully and so eloquently about this beautiful truth about who god made us to be and all of the beautiful parts around the theology of the body. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for giving me this time, Rachel. It's really a gift for me and I'm blessed to have this opportunity to share with you and to whoever is going to listen to this podcast when you release it and like you said, many years down the road. <laughs> May the Holy Spirit yes. just bless it. Thank you. And and on that note with the Holy Spirit, I was wondering if you could close us out with a prayer. Sure. We're still in the presence of God, in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus our bridegroom, we thank you. We thank you for your generous, amazing gift of self to us. And we thank you for giving us a heart that can be open to receiving that amazing gift. Lord, we ask that you send us your holy spirit to give us the courage to open our hearts to take away whatever barriers there may be to heal our wounds, 
remove all obstacles so that we may courageously and fearlessly open our hearts to receive you and the gift of redemption that you offer to us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for creating us and for creating us to be in your image and likeness. Male and female, you created us so that we could image your Trinitarian life and love. And we thank you in a special way for the gift of womanhood, for the gift of the feminine genius that allows us to live out our personhood in a very unique way that allows us to make such a distinct gift of ourselves to others. Thank you for all the feminine gifts that you have blessed us with. We know that we may not have lived out our feminine genius in the best way possible in many times in our lives. But Lord, we thank you because you are patient and loving and so tender and merciful to us. We just ask that you heal whatever is hindering us from making a gift of self to others and give us your blessing. Bless us with your Holy Spirit to inspire us, to sanctify us, and to make all our actions a reflection of your wonderful love for us. I personally thank you for this blessed time together in this podcast. And we pray that all the people who will be listening to this episode will be blessed, that they may hear you speak, and that you may reveal to them so clearly how it is that you want them to be a gift to others and how they can more generously receive the gift of self that you make to them. Blessed Mother, be our guide and our model. May you just show us the way to be a woman after God's own heart. All of this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Joy, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was great to be with you today. Thank you again to Joy Katikbag for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast today. You can follow Joy on Instagram at joybkatikbag to stay in touch. Be sure to also check out the show notes because I've linked a ton of resources for Theology of the Body. So be sure to check that out and again, follow Joy on Instagram. You can learn more about the Feminine Genius Podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at FemGeniusPod. And you can listen and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. All of this information can be found on our home on the web, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless you always.